welcome to episode 63 of the BNCast. Not a podcast that bans the single most popular commander in the format with absolutely no notice or warning, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I'm joined not only by the Gavany Dawnguard herself, Emma, but I'm also joined by a recurring special guest of the show, prolific writer for EDH Trek and also their number one fanboy, the pumpkin spice latte lord of Innistrad himself, Angelo Guerrera, aka the Jess Guy. How are you doing today? Hi, Scott. Uh, I'm good, thanks for asking. <laughs> I've been drowning in Innistrad Midnight Hunt, the set, like, just, I, I can't keep up with all the stuff coming out from it. From drafts on Arena, to an at-home pre-release, to modifying my Innistrad cube, I've just been doing a lot. I, I did a thread on Twitter where I reviewed every single card from the set in the context of my cube. I did yeah. the gold set review for EDH Rec. And so my brain's been literally only Innistrad since the beginning of the month. <laughs> but aside from all that, um, I've been planning out my October articles because I do weekly spooky articles uh, every week in October. And so yeah. this year for October, I'm doing a week dedicated to each of the four Innistrad monster tribes. And then nice. also I finished putting together my three-color Omnath Elementals deck which is really oh, cool, yeah. but that's like the only thing that I've done for myself for Commander since preview started, so that's been fun. <laughs> what about you, Emma? Uh, hi, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm pretty tired because I played badminton earlier today, so I'm a bit sore and a bit sleepy. But I've been on annual leave from work, so I've had like the week off just to chill out and, you know, paint some Warhammer and try not do anything too magic related because magic and content like bleed into one, so having that break is nice. With Innistrad Midnight Hunt previews all wrapped up, as you would know, Angelo, I've had a quick yep. look at the set f uh, for my Peasant Cube. So fortunately, there's only like a handful of cards that I'm interested in for my cube this time, which is a nice break because Modern Horizons 2 and Forgotten Realms really changed up my cube. So it's nice that there's only like a handful this time as opposed to like mm. a dozen or two. So this time I have added Join the Dance, Play with Fire, Eternal Grasp and Rite of Oblivion into my cube which are just all better versions of cards that are already in my cube. However, I do suspect I will re revisit Midnight Hunt once Crimson Vow is out and just see if there's any like any overlapping synergies that I want to add yeah. to the cube. It feels like one big set as opposed to two little sets, if you know what I mean. It's just better to look yep. at it completely. So I suspect I'll be doing more work in come mid-November when Crimson Vow comes out. As standard is now rotated and I don't have to fear Bonecrusher Giant ever again, um, I'm looking to play Standard. For context, the last time I played Standard was when Venerated Loxodon was legal, and that was about uh, two, three years ago now. Unsurprisingly, I'm going to build Mono White Aggro because it's cheap, and it's just something, I just want something cheap and fun to play at FNM because my LGS is doing Standard FNMs again now. So the combination of like Usher of the Fallen, Clarion Spirit, and Ritual of Hope just feels really, really good. It just feels mm. quite powerful and quite aggressive, so I'm very excited to explore that for Standard, so I'm going to brew up some this scene. Also, I've gone a little bit adjacent to magic. I picked up some flesh and blood dual decks, challenger deck oh. things. I don't know what they're mm. called, but they're like the, the pre-constructed mm -hmm. decks. Um, Let's decks. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. I've got like a set of four of them. I've got a good deal on them. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to give that a go, just see what, see what the fuss is about, because a lot of the magic players and content creators are dipping their toes into that now. Um, and I'll yep. let you know how it is next week, I, I suspect. <laughs> how about you, Scott? What have you been up to? Yeah, yeah. Just on the Flesh and Blood, I've actually got two of the Blitz decks as well, and I've been meaning to play with them. So, yeah, if you want to try learn it over webcam or something, let me know. Yes, let's do that. Because um, 
I've been I've been meaning to do it for like two months now. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally had them sitting in the drawer here, and I'm looking at them, and be like, one day. Mine is still sealed because I just like I because I can look at them and like I don't know what these do, so I'm just gonna wait until <laughs> till I have everything ready and I'll give it a go. Yeah, yeah. I've been seeing yeah. everyone do flesh and blood stuff. I'm like, I can't get deep on another card game. To I be can't. fair, <laughs> half it's the reason for me. <laughs> to be fair, half of the reason I'm doing it is for content, just to keep yeah. up with mm-hmm. the, just to keep up the sphere of TCGs. If I enjoy mm-hmm. it on the yeah. side, cool. But it's just cool to know that I can, yeah. I've got a couple of decks I can use as research. I think that's the big yeah. one for me. I do know that there is actually also a multiplayer format in Flesh and Blood, Ooh, oh and wow. you can apparently build decks for like as cheap as like twenty quid. So, nice. I'm kind of into that, sorta. Yeah. Like, assuming it's good. But Flesh and Blood aside, me personally, I'm good. Uh, I went to another small modern event this week in the War Chest, one of my local game stores, and I brought one hundred dollar Affinity. Yes. So Affinity's it's basically great. Affinity for modern. Only without the Urza sagas, which you know, some people are like, "Oh, it's unplayable without the Urza sagas." Mm, you'd be surprised. Sometimes just vomiting your hand out on turn one or two is good enough, anyway. It's the best, you know. Yeah, it feels great. Um, there was only three rounds. I went two and one. I beat Bluetron and Burn, but lost to some absurd Amulet Titan starts by my friend Tom. Which, by the way, if you're listening, Tom, I'm still picking pieces of my corpse up off the floor of the war chest. So. <laughs> It, it was good though uh, like I had a blast the deck feels great it feels super fun and it feels good that like I say it's a hundred dollar affinity I actually put it together for like 40 euros mm. because American prices what are you all about <laughs> like I don't understand yeah sorry but <laughs> but uh, this week's this week's article is actually very much related to what we're going to be talking about on the episode and that is I was doing the official card kingdom upgrade guide for the Coven Counters precon so it's a $50 upgrade. So think of it as sort of a supplemental read that complements this episode, if you will. Mm. Um, that's live now, but be sure to check it out after the show because we're going we're gonna to set the, set the tone for that now in a couple of minutes. <laughs> and outside of Magic, I started playing Deltarune Chapter 2 yesterday, which hit Heck yeah. like two days ago. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Toby Fox. Like Undertale is 15 out of 10 in my eyes. Uh, Deltarune is basically the exact same rating. And if you haven't played it, anyone that's listening, if you haven't played Deltarune, it's free. Go and get it. You can get chapter one and chapter two now. Okay. Play it. It's amazing. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you don't have to have played Undertale to get it, um, though it does help a little, I guess. Yeah. I've also been playing Neo over the past few days with uh, one of my friends from home. It's uh, like a Souls-like game. It's based in Japan around the sort of 1600s. It's obviously an alternate universe version because there's like spirits and magic and stuff. But the combat is like super engaging. It's really fluid. The story is pretty cool and it looks absolutely stunning. Plus you you can go around and you can find like these little dudes called Kodama. They're like little spirits. Mm -hmm. And they're like little tiny green dudes that are only about like a foot tall. And they have like teacups as their, their hats. And Aww. you have to go find them and bring them back, bring them back to the shrine, which is like their little house. And then you go back there, and they give you like a little blessing that like helps you in the game and stuff. It's cute. It's cool. That's cute. Yeah, adorable. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as three dollars. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show. And their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. 
All right. So before we jump in to the episode, Angelo. Yes. You're on again this week, which means that you must have a card of the week. I do. What is that? My card of the week is Wand of Orcus. Uh, I remember talking about this when I was on for the D&D episode, and I I shouted it out uh, as one of the, the really good new cards from the deck, mm. and something that I didn't think about is we're going back to Innistrad, which means zombies, and like we're going to be talking in this episode, there is a zombie precon that cares about zombie tokens, and what Wand of Orcus does is it's a three-mana equipment that equips for three, and whenever the equipped creature mm -hmm. attacks or blocks, it and other zombies you control get death touch until the end of the turn. And whenever the equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you make that many 2-2 two -two black zombies. This card's 350 right now, and mm -hmm. again, like we'll be talking about later, anything zombie or tribal adjacent usually doesn't stay cheap for very long, especially if... It can produce a lot of zombie tokens, which on the yeah. correct creature, this can. So if you're looking for a good upgrade to your zombie deck, uh, pick up a Wand of Orcus while it's cheap. Yeah, for sure. All right. So first thing we're going to talk about this week is the week's roundup, which we have done for the last couple of weeks. We basically just talk about like one of the main topics that has happened within the Magic Sphere in general over the past seven days. This one is a, an interesting one. We're going to talk about Commander bans and unbans. So two things happened in the one announcement, and that was Golos Tireless Pilgrim was banned and Worldfire was unbanned. Now, I have my own feelings on this, but as the higher authority in Commander in general, what? Angelo, I want to hear your feelings on this first. Um, so I, b before playing Commander, I played Modern, I played standard. I was a 60-card uh, format player. And so bans weren't entirely foreign to me. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of bans, particularly Splinter Twin, where the ban wasn't because the deck was necessarily too strong, but because it was just a very high percentage of the, the meta. And I know, obviously, meta in EDH is a bit more nebulous, but... Mm -hmm. To me, this feels like the Splinter Twin ban, or it was something very popular. It might not... People argue that Golos wasn't too strong. I would argue against that, but I'm not going to make that argument here. But mm -hmm. Golos was easily the most popular commander on EDH rec. We saw that. Mm -hmm. And I think the logic from the rules committee is sound. Golos was just this soupy could create a soupy mess no matter what deck it, it helmed it got whatever land you wanted it could just start playing things for free after turn seven it invalidated the commander tax down to one mana instead of two there's a reason why that why it's two mana and you could just make a five color deck a four color deck whatever and just say yeah i'm just gonna i'm just gonna throw golos up at the helm because I don't really have a better option or I don't want a better option. Part of Golos's power is how ubiquitous it is. Yeah. And and uh, on the day of the banning, I saw a lot of people being like, oh, you know, people's decks got banned out from under them. That's not cool, this and that. Like, And, and I, I have a bit of sympathy because I've gone, again, I've gone through bans before. My only issue with this one is... Your deck didn't get banned if you have a Golos deck. 
your commander got banned because you just pick up Kenrith, you just pick up Joda. Like, you... Mm -hmm. I, I, I was talking to people in the EDH Rec Discord, and they were like, oh, well, my my Golos Valakut deck got banned, so I, I'm thinking of now having to play Windgrace. And so I linked them my Windgrace deck, and, you know, that, that helped them out. And... Yeah. They, even they were saying, like, yeah, Golos was really good for making sure that I always had Valakut, but now by cutting out two colors, I can kind of really hone hone in on hmm. the theme of the deck. And I think that's one thing that people aren't giving enough credit is that a lot of EDH is about themes, and a lot of EDH hmm. is about not always trying to do the best thing, but trying to do the best thing in a lane. And yeah. Golos kind of invalidated that and also was just inevitability but you can't keep mm. up with someone casting three free spells for seven mana every time um and especially yeah. if they're doing it multiple times a turn yeah that makes sense i think the only deck that has been like quote-unquote banned properly is anyone that was like mainly focusing on like a maze's end win kind of thing mm. yep because it requires all five colors in order to be able to play all the gates mm -hmm. and it searched up your maze's end pretty easily you know or your other gates or whichever you're looking for so yeah there are other alternatives they are just worse because it did happen to be really really good for that specific strategy but everything else can have something else at the helm i know some people just really enjoy playing with golos and like it's okay to say that you enjoy playing with things that you know invalidate or circumvent the rules and restrictions of the game because like that's what a lot of competitive players do they like playing the broken deck because it wins them games and stuff and like there's nothing wrong with that it's just those decks aren't as important as the diversity of the format as a whole and i think removing golos is going to be a net positive for the format for that very reason i think yeah i saw a lot of discussion on twitter particularly from people who were trying to say that the golos ban wasn't correct where they were like well Look, go on EDA track. Look at Golos's theme page. There's so many themes mm. that Golos can can helm. This isn't stifling diversity. This like look look at all the decks Golos can make, and like in a sense, yes, you're right. Golos has a lot of themes. It probably had one of the most diverse theme pages on the site. Mm. But what happens when you take Golos away? Well, those themes go to commanders who kind of deserve them. Windgrace is a lands deck, you know, let Windgrace be the lands deck. When, when when all of those themes are condensed under a single commander, it's taking away from other ones. Yeah, I, I'm completely in agreement on that. I know that some people are not going to be happy, no matter what anyone says about the Golos <laughs> Band, because it, yeah. it can suck, like, you know, yeah. as someone who had Faithless Looting Band out um, from their favorite deck of probably all time, like, you know, it sucks. You don't ever fully get over it, in my experience. <laughs> no, you do. You do. Like, yeah, it's it sucks. But it will get better because it's a game and games are going to be enjoyed. That does <laughs> pro provide I the guess. point, though, counter-like point to that or question. With, mm -hmm. with the ban of Golos, do you think mm -hmm. it's the RC's sort of... Their way of saying this is too powerful, stop making powerful five-color commanders? Because they've been making a lot of them recently. Mm -hmm. Like, they're trying to push one in, like, every mm -hmm. set almost. Yeah. Is that just... Yeah. They're, they're, them going to Watts going, hey, this is too good, we're, we're banning this to prove a point. Adjacent to everything yeah. else that, you know, it's clearly too good. But maybe it's just yeah. a message as well. Yeah, I, they did mention that mm. in 
their um, their article earlier in the week that they had talked to the designers and it seems like they have gotten across that commanders like Golos aren't good. You can't print something like that for the health of, health of the format and because they got that point across, they felt like it was a good time now to ban Golos because they don't yeah. foresee more commanders like Golos being made. Mm. But yeah. should something slip through the cracks, I think it's good to have that precedent of saying, well, yeah, this car- this card is unhealthy for the format. It doesn't matter. Mm. Like cards shouldn't be able to hide behind popularity. Yeah, yeah. just because a card's popular, <laughs> smothering type, <laughs> doesn't mean <laughs> that. Um, that card, <coughs> Dockside, <coughs> should not, you know, should be dodging bans, you know? Um, right. <laughs> How do we feel about Wildfire, though, being unbanned? Yeah. No one care? I, I don't care. I don't care, same... but I'm not ingrained into Commando. Like, I, can well, think my, I think my argument is, why was it banned in the first place? Or am I missing something? Well, it was banned at a, at a different time. Like, you know, Commander nowadays is a lot different than Commander back in 2012. Yeah. But, like, the reason why I don't care is, like, okay, you play it once, and now I know not to play with you again. Like, I just, I don't want to have those kinds of games. Like, okay, cool. It, like, if you go World Fire and you kill me immediately, all right, cool, that's fine. I've played Armageddon and killed people with, with that in Commander because... Yeah. I want to respect their time, but if you're if you're like, oh, okay, I'm gonna cast World Fire, <laughs> reset the game. I'm just gonna scoop and be like, all right, cool. Now I know not who to play with. Like, mm-hmm. th- my my only issue with the World Fire unban is that like, what does it add to the format? It doesn't like, yeah, it, it it does things that other cards already do, but did we need more of those cards? But okay. I don't know. It's it's whatever. I have a slightly different opinion on it, and that is that. Well, first of all, I, I do agree with what you said, Angelo, mm-hmm. that like if you're going to worldfire someone, you, you're going to have to like end the game then and there, pretty much. Because if you don't, what are you doing? It's the yeah. same as just Armageddoning to reset the board for like no reason, you know? But like it's a, it's a nine mana sorcery. If a nine mana sorcery wins the game, that's fine. There's plenty of things that cost less than that that win the game on the spot as well. Sure. So I think one thing that it does add to the format is it gives another option to people of a different kind of interesting win condition that might help diversify win conditions within decks. And I kind of like that idea because I, I think any any nine mana sorcery that basically says win the game on it is a perfectly fine thing to have in Commander. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's the misuse of it that will give it the bad rep. Yeah. And I think overall, as long as you're playing with people that know not to world fire you and then just sit there and do nothing then I think you're fine, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's an interesting choice, for sure. I guess we'll see how it plays out. But it has gotten expensive. Have you seen the price of this? Yeah. It has spiked hard. Not surprising. Mm-hmm. It's a mythic from a mm-hmm. set that no one has access to anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to pick a couple up, and then I was like, do I really want this card? I'm never going to play with it. It's not my mm. style of card. So I was yeah. like, eh, no. <laughs> yeah. If it's going to spike, like- people can have it. At least I can pick That's up it. my Goloses now for cheap, because I can play it in Tron. <laughs> yeah, my roommate's very happy to pick up foil Goloses for cheap. Yeah. All right, so that was the week's roundup. 
nice little chat about the Commander Bands and Unbands. We're going to move on now to the main part of the episode, which is kind of funny considering we're like 20 minutes in. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> this, is, this is what we get. This is what we get. Um, to be fair, Emma, if you weren't here, this would probably be like 40 minutes. I know. Yeah, I'm right. fully aware. <laughs> <laughs> so we are talking about the new Commander Precons from Innistrad. And Midnight Hunt has given us two. There's Coven Counters and Undead Unleashed. So Coven Counters is the first one we'll be looking at. This is a Coven deck. So the Coven mechanic basically is if you control three or more creatures with different powers, as in power and toughness powers, not abilities or anything, in case that's confusing, um, then something happens. We'll take, for example, the legend that's at the helm of the deck, Leonore Autumn Sovereign, is two green and a blue for a 0-4 human noble that reads the Coven ability. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature you control. Then if you control three or more creatures with different powers, draw a card. So what are your thoughts on this, Commander Angelo, first of all? Um, so I think Lenore's cool. Uh, she's a neat green-white legend, mm-hmm. but not particularly impactful. Like, I'm not looking mm-hmm. for more Corvolds or Tulanes, but I don't think conditionally drawing a card sometimes will do a whole lot. Like, you'll always get the counter, which is cool, and having Lenore be uh, a very difficult power to get in the command zone, being zero, uh, is neat, mm-hmm. but... I think there are better plus one, plus one counter commanders in green-white specifically. So I think, unless you're going hard on Coven, which I think is probably better in limited, um, mm. the, there are probably better options for her. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with this as well. For example, the next commander, which is, or the next legendary that's in the Coven Counters deck, is Kyler, Sigardian Emissary which is three green and a white for a 2-2 human cleric that reads, whenever another human enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on Kyler. And other humans you control get plus one, plus one for each counter on Kyler. This is interesting because Mm -hmm. I only kind of notice now that it says for each counter on Kyler. Mm -hmm. So if you have multiple different kinds of counters, like if you give them, say, like a trample counter from something from Ikoria, that counts. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. What do you think of this as a a green-white human commander so and we were talking about this a little bit before the show uh and i I don't know what they're going to be doing for the spirit and vampire deck in crimson vow but the zombie deck is a tribal deck i can only assume that the next two decks are also going to be tribal decks i think this deck kind of suffers from not having kyler as the main commander because i think Mm. this deck would have been better as a human tribal deck to to be another you know tribal Mm. deck that they're putting out and and having Coven as a sub-theme, as opposed to having the human synergies as a sub-theme. Um, yeah. But overall, Kyler, Wild Fragile, is a much easier to track Cathar's Crusade for humans. Mm-hmm. And uh, humans really like that effect. And th- this is really cool if you want to go wide with uh, with humans. I like it a lot. Fragile, yep. but fun. Yeah. And then the third... Legend that is in Coven Counters is a monocolored one. It is mono green and it's Kerbis Harvest Celebrant. It's a 0 0 tree folk for X green green and it enters the battlefield with the number of plus one plus one counters on it equal to the amount of mana spent to cast it. 
and you can remove a plus one plus one counter from Kerbis to prevent all damage that would be dealt this turn to another target creature with a plus one plus one counter on it. So, what are your thoughts on this one, Angelo? It's a bit weird. It is a little weird, and I really don't know if they helm their own deck or if they go into other decks, because I'm sure 1 1 counters decks would love to have a scaling mono green one sided fog uh, as a mm. creature for them. But my favorite thing about them is that they have a gourd for a head, and they're very cute. <laughs> it's very flavorful. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it, it seems like the kind of commander that I won't ever see at a table mm. for about two years, and then someone will show up with it and wow me with some like weird, crazy interaction. Yep. That's exactly how this feels <laughs> to me. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So, Emma... We're on to, to your section of the upgrades that we usually do, and that is notable reprints. How is Coven Counters for these? Uh, it seems okay, considering, like, I know previously we've seen a lot of pre-constructed decks, like, brimmed with value. Um, you do get mm. some in this. It's not as much as compared to the other ones, but there is a couple of cards that are worth, you know, worth, it's worth picking this up just for a couple of cards. And the main one is Bastion Protector, which was in uh, the Commander Precon, yeah. 2015 Precon. Before this reprint, it was, like, $16 each. Um, because it was a powerful white card, it plays in those sort of white style decks, the ones that you want to protect your generals and stuff like that. Um, at the minute it is $11, so you're still getting a good return, mm. but it is definitely one of those cards that if you pick up the Coven Counters pre-con, you'd want to keep this aside. And then going further, you've got Micaeus the Lunark and Sumberworld Sage, which are $4 each at the moment. And Micaeus leans really well into the whole humans thing that we were talking about earlier. And then you've got stuff like Eternal Witness, Gaia Sage, and Source to Plow Sage, which are all $3 each. And they're all kind of staples in like green and white decks separately, as well as this one. Yeah. Yeah, some good budget picks from this one. And obviously, there's, you know, classic things like Sol Ring, Arcane Signet, and so Command Tower, which you can never have enough of, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think think at this point, they're they're just given. It's like they're just in pre cons, you know. I'm okay with that. So, Angelo, tell us in terms of budget upgrades for this kind of deck, what would you be looking at doing? So, uh, the budget upgrades that I got for this, I got from. Or my intention was to get from the Human Tribal theme on Trek, mm. And so I go into there, and I look, and up at the top, they have most common color identities for uh, each Human Tribal deck. And green-white isn't on there. And mm. it, it, I was like, what are you... What? Why? In Ikoria, we had the Mardu human deck. Yeah. And mm. so a lot of those decks are Mardu colors. But Sigarda Heron's Grace is on that page. So I went down there, and all of these cards are from Sigarda's page. So the budget upgrades uh, that I added were Timeless Witness, uh, since mm-hmm. it's a human that can buy back a card, and you can also eternalize it later. Uh, mm-hmm. We have Giant Killer, which just rotated out of standard as a way to either remove uh, a big creature, be a human for Kyler, or be a one-power creature for Lenore. That way you can mm. hit no matter what axis uh, you, you want with them. Glare of Subduel, which since you're going wide, you can tap your 1-1s one down to tap one of their big creatures or big artifacts. Yeah. Uh, we have Amaria's Call. Uh, I love MDFCs, so being able to jam one in here is really good. Uh, you get two 4-4s, four and all non-angels get indestructible till the end of the turn. Uh, it's 7 yeah. mana, but it's also a land on the back, and mm. I think having that 
kind of protection for the turn when you're going wide, but then also being able to hit four power creatures for Lenore is really yeah. good. So it works in both uh, decks, no matter what commander you want. And then the last one is Cathar's Crusade. And Cathar's Crusade used to be like 10 bucks. It's down to 5 and yeah. because of the reprint in Jumpstart. It's a little hard to track at times, but I think the power is well worth it. If you're going wide, Cathar's Crusade just kind of ratches that up to 11. Yeah, I've always found with Cathar's Crusade, like if you play that and then you play like 5 creatures, you basically just point at the table and be like, do y'all just want a scoop or do you have yeah. an answer to this? Because <laughs> I really don't want to have to take out the calculator for this. Like, Yep. Yeah, but, and, and yeah. something I forgot to mention, in total, all of those upgrades come out to about 8 or $9. Sweet. It's not bad. And what would you suggest if someone was looking to put in just like one or two nice cards, you know, like that might be a little less budget focused? Mm -hmm. So uh, I have two cards here. One is $10, and that's Ajani, Mentor of Heroes. Uh, Ajani is really mm. cool in Lenore because his plus, well, one of his plus ones lets you put three counters divided as you choose between three creatures so he nice. he really helps you diversify the power of your creatures to always make sure that you are triggering your coven mm. second esper sentinel is 16 dollars, but esper sentinel goes great in either deck since you can modify yeah. its power with one one counters with lenore or with kyler since you're just modifying your entire team and it's just a really good way to just draw extra cards over many turns. Yeah. It's funny that the Esper Sentinel actually draws cards more reliably than the Commander does. But, you know. Modern Horizons do, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that will just about do it for the Coven Counters. Moving on to Undead Unleashed. This is Zombie Tribal. So focus on zombies and everything brain-eating related. I'll go over some of the legends here. Starting off with the commander at the helm of the deck, and that is Wilhelt the Rock Cleaver. He is two blue and a black for a 3-3 zombie warrior that reads, Whenever another zombie you control dies, if it didn't have Decayed, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with Decayed. And Decayed means that it can't block, and when it attacks, you sacrifice it at the end of combat. And at the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice a zombie. If you do, draw a card. So, in terms of zombie-related commanders, Angelo, where does this one stand up against the others? I really like Wilhelm a lot. Particularly mm. because when I first saw him, I'm like, ah, oh, decayed zombies? Like, that's a huge drawback. I don't... Why do I want to make my zombies, like, even worse, etc., etc.? But in reality, Wilhelm just gives you two zombies for every one zombie in your deck. And you're probably going to be sacrificing yeah. them, attacking with them anyway. You'll probably reanimate the ones that you got rid of. And on top of that, he can draw you a card. Uh, every one zombie will give you two cards over two turns. You'll sack the first zombie, you'll get a decayed one, and then on your next turn you can just sack the decayed one. So he's yeah. kind of a Phyrexian arena as well. I really like him because instead of focusing on the zombies like something like Gisa and Geralf would since they reanimate mm. the actual zombies he's leaning more towards zombie tokens and going wide since even if you make regular zombie tokens if they don't have decayed you'll get a second one it doesn't it, he doesn't say non-token he just says non-decayed yeah. 
And I think you can get a lot of value out of that, especially for a four mana commander. Yeah, especially when it comes to if you want to have, because a lot of zombies decks can lean towards aristocrats kind of thing. Yep. It kind of almost feels like Demir zombie equivalent to Teza Karlov, sort of. Because mm. if you sacrifice a creature in a Teza Karlov deck for, you know, a dies effect or something, you get that twice. Yep. If you sacrifice a zombie in this, you get another zombie back, which lets you do that same thing again, which feels like having two dies triggers because you get two creatures out of it. So that's the sort of the comparison that I'm drawing with it. And that's what's making me think that this is a really, really good commander, potentially. Yeah, th- think about this guy with Diagraph Captain. Whenever a zombie you control dies, each opponent loses a life. Yeah. Like, now all your zombies make people lose two life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, the next one. This is one that I am actually very interested in. And could probably be convinced to actually make a commander deck around them. And that is Elwi's Nefalia Sleuth. So she is three blue-black for a 4-4 human rogue that reads, whenever another creature you control dies, investigate. And whenever you sacrifice a token, surveil one. So what are your thoughts on this really unique and interesting combination of abilities? So I think that this is a really good example of just putting two really cool abilities on a single commander and then working really well together. Uh, I see a lot of people very excited for her. She doesn't really do anything for me. When I'm playing blue-black, I either want to be doing zombies or I want to be stealing and playing your cards. Mm -hmm. But I know that a lot of people are very hyped for her. People love making clue tokens. People also love surveilling, uh, which is surprising. I didn't think that it would have uh, as much of a fan base as it does, but, you know, better scry, who would have guessed um but yeah i like her not for me but she's really cool and i think she'll add something really cool to blue black as a color combination yeah i think you're right and then the final one the final commander from undead unleashed again monocolored one like kerbis is in coven counters this is gorex the tomb shell so it's six black black for a 4-4 four, four zombie turtle, which is already the best creature type line that we've had so far. As an additional cost to cast this spell, you may exile any number of creature cards from your graveyard, and this spell costs two less to cast for each card exiled this way. They have Death Touch, and also another ability is whenever Gorex the Tomb Shell attacks or dies, choose a card at random exiled with Gorex and put that card into its owner's hand. So it's like a weird mono black kind of graveyard recycly thing yeah i don't dislike it i think Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of value particularly because the more well stocked your graveyard is the more commander tax it can mitigate um more often than not you will be able to cast gorex for two black i don't know what you particularly do with it aside from slowly recur the things in your graveyard but it's fun. It's a zombie turtle. I'm sure that fans of Meandering Tower Shell uh, will probably like this. Mm-hmm. So while it might not be for me, and while I'm, I might not do anything with it, I think it's an interesting angle. Usually black is sacrificing things, and so seeing them recur things on a commander is really neat, uh, even if it is a little slow. Mm. I will say... 
this may potentially be worth trying out in my Sir Conrad deck. Oh. Because it wants to remove things from the graveyard anyway, and it's a cheap beater. And then when it attacks or dies, you just get those cards back to help yeah. fuel other stuff. It might be alright. I like that. The fact that when it dies, you'll get a creature back is really good. That way, yeah. even at worst, you're guaranteed something to replace it. But if you're able to attack right. with it even once, even though you get the creature back at random, now you're guaranteed at least two things. Because you've attacked, and then w- once it dies, you'll get something else. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's neat. So that's the Legends. Now, Emma, when it comes to reprints, am I right in saying that this deck is better than yes. the Coven Catchers? <laughs> it's it's not hard, is it? Um, so if no. you are looking for a pre-con that has the value, so you want to either take it apart for expensive cards or you just want to get your money's worth out of the pre-con, uh, this is the one to go for just because there's just some really good reprints that these are like the second reprints in a lot of cases, which are often, which are already quite expensive. And the best example of this is yeah. Endless Ranks of the Dead, which is about $14 at the moment, um, which was printed an original in a strad and that was it i believe yep which is a big player in like zombie tribal decks because zombie because tribal decks have been around for a while zombies are quite popular mm. so this is a really good one to pick up this is like the most expensive out of the the pre-cons but even then you've got stuff like liliana's death majesty which is a very zombie matters planeswalker you've got dread summons which is very zombie matters they're both seven dollars each and then you're getting into stuff like geese and Geralt, which are you know you, you're seeing a pattern here right um, and then you've got some really cool, um, like rooftop storms in the in the precon, which is really good with Grim Grim. So We've seen that before. That's five dollars. Then you've got Cemetery Reaper, which is five dollars. Talisman of Dominance, which is five dollars. Which is shocking that the old talismans aren't reprinted as much as they are because they're right. quite good in Commander. Sort that out, Watsy. Um, and then you've got stuff like Zombie Apocalypse, Death Parent, which are about four dollars, four dollars fifty each. And then you're getting into the cheaper stuff, which is still quite good. So Diagraph Colossus at three fifty, Gravespawn Sovereign at three dollars, and then finally Army, Army of the Damned at three dollars. So just reprints alone, you're recuperating the price you paid for this pregon, and it's great to be honest. If you if you mm. want to play like zombies tribal, it's just like this is the great starting point because you got you get an endless rank of the dead already, which is one of the best cards. Yeah, yeah, it is it is chock full of good reprints here for yeah. zombie decks. Any, almost any tribal deck that they print is going to be good, if not now, then over time, mm. because tribal strategies are some of the most popular in the format, and yeah. when they're packing it full of things like Endless Ranks of the Dead and Dread Summons and Rooftop Storm, all cards which have gone up over time, that's awesome. That's a lot of value. You can you can grab this for the value now, or just grab it mm-hmm. to play with it, or grab it to hold on to it for later. Like, yeah. there's a lot of really good stuff in here. Yeah. And then, Angelo, budget upgrades for this. Where would we be starting? So, on EDA Trek, we have two different zombie themes. We have the, zo- the zombie tribal page, and then we also have the zombie token theme page. And so, for these upgrades, I went with the zombie token theme page. Because I want to focus on making sure that the decayed zombies aren't just sitting there not doing anything. So the first one uh, is 50 cents. It's Vizier of the Scorpion. And so in War of the Spark, there are a handful of Viziers that modify zombie tokens. And so this one amasses one. So that will give you a zombie token automatically that doesn't have decayed, so when that dies, you'll also get another token, and it says, all zombie tokens you control have death touch. 
There's a blue one that gives flying. There's a blue-black one that gives hexproof to all your zombie tokens. Any of yeah. these viziers, but vizier of the scorpion in particular, I would add in. Because now all of your zombie tokens feel really bad to block. They're just going to go through and they're just going to start chunking your opponents. Because why would they want to block them? They have death touch and they'll probably be going away at the end of the turn anyway. Yeah, that's that's actually, yeah. Because when you first look at that card, you're like, this is fine, I guess. Death touch is mm -hmm. whatever. But when you put it like that, like every one of your decayed zombies is basically an attacking shock. Yeah. You kind of you kind of inclined to just take it and deal with it. Mm-hmm when they have that touch so yeah cool yeah. and and when and then when you combine all the decayed zombies with all the death triggers that will just ping people mm. you're draining your opponents very fast but enough on that uncommon next <laughs> is, uh, next is noxious ghoul so noxious ghoul is a dollar 50 and it's a five mana three three zombie and whenever noxious ghoul or another zombie comes into play all non-zombie creatures get minus one, minus one until the end of the turn. Ooh. So, <laughs> with Will Held out, if you play a zombie and sack it, you'll get a decayed zombie, and so for each one zombie, you'll be giving everything minus two, minus two. And that only goes up from there. So it's a, a nice, yeah. easy way to keep the board in order if someone's playing the counters deck or playing a bunch of tokens or, mm. you know, if you have a bunch of zombies on board and you sack them all at the same time, maybe you can just wipe everything out. Yeah. Uh, next is Murderous Rider for $2. Uh, another card that just rotated out of standard. Uh, Murderous Rider is a 2-3 zombie for 3, and uh, it has lifelink, and when it dies, you have to put it on the bottom of your deck. But the part that I really like is it's also an adventure. And so... Mm. For Swift End, uh, which is one black black, it's an instant that can destroy a creature or a planeswalker, and then you lose two life. Yeah. Now, not only are you getting two zombies, you know, the Murderous Rider and the Decayed Token, you're also getting a kill spell on top of that. And so yeah. just finding extra ways to eke value out of your zombies is very vital for Goodwill Help decks, I believe. Mm -hmm. Then we have God Eternal Bantu. Uh, they're also from War of the Spark. They're a 5-6 for 5 with Menace, and they're a zombie god. And when Bantu enters the battlefield, you can sacrifice any number of other permanents, and then you draw that many cards. And so Bantu, on top of being a zombie, is something really good to do with all your decayed tokens if you can't do anything with them. So you had three zombies already die... You could just sack three zombies, draw three cards, or sack your board and get a bunch of decayed tokens and trigger whatever things you got going on. Mm. And then finally, we have Havengul Lich. Uh, Havengul Lich is a 4-4 four, four for 5. Uh, it's a zombie wizard, and for one generic mana, you can target a creature in a graveyard, and you can cast that card until the end of the turn. And then Havengul Lich gets all of its activated abilities, but that part doesn't matter. You can mm. reanimate either your zombies, someone else's creatures. The versatility is just very good. And it being a zombie on its own, you'll have ways to recur it. And I'm sure there are loops and chains where you can get something to get Havengul Lich back. And then Havengul Lich get yeah. that thing back. And then you can just build your board out from there. Yeah, that's sweet as well. And then if you were looking at, like we did with Coven Counters, to just splurge a little bit on one or two cards to improve the deck, what would you go for? So uh, a little bit might be subjective uh, with these. <laughs> but so what I have here 
are two cards. The first one is Kindred Discovery, which right now mm -hmm. is about $25. Any blue tribal deck will probably want this card. It's very strong. It's a five-mana enchantment. And when it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type. And whenever creatures of the chosen type enter the battlefield or attack, you draw a card. And yeah, so your decayed tokens enter the battlefield when your other when your other zombies die, you'll draw a card. You want to attack with them anyway since they can't block. So now your useless two twos actually net you cards. And just overall, you're going to be churning through your deck because you're making so many zombies. Mm. And then finally is Tombstone Stairwell. Now, this card used to be a bit cheaper. It used to be like 10 bucks, mm. but since Wilhelm was spoiled, mm. it went up to 45. The reason Jeez. why it's at 45, yeah, it's a reserveless card. Ah, uh, of course. Uh. There we go. Correct. <laughs> and the reason why I wanted to mention it is because it is a reserveless and if you plan on if you really want to tune Wilhelm, I would grab this card because I don't see this obviously getting reprinted it's on the reserve list and so what tombstone stairwell does is it's a four mana enchantment and it has cumulative upkeep one in a black and so that you put a age counter on it and you need to pay one in a black for each age counter on it on your upkeep and so what tombstone stairwell does is at the beginning of each upkeep if it's on the battlefield each player gets to create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with haste named tomb spawn for each creature in their graveyard. Then, yeah. at the beginning of each end step, or when Tombstone Stairwell leaves the battlefield, you destroy all tokens created with Tombstone Stairwell. Mm -hmm. The thing with Tombstone Stairwell is you're making zombie tokens that don't have decayed. So if you have six creatures in your yard, every turn you make six yeah. new zombies, they get sacked at the end of the turn, Will Helt sees them, then you get six decayed zombies. Then it goes to the next player's turn. And then the next player's turn. And you can yeah. use those zombies to block the other zombies coming at you. You'll still get decayed tokens. It's just mm -hmm. a very easy way to go crazy like just and, and bury people in zombie tokens. Yeah, that's, that's, pretty nice. that's quite absurd. <laughs> I, I can, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, very pricey, but it's one of those cards that just works very, very, very well with Will Help. Yeah, makes sense. I, I might be putting off uh, that upgrade for a little while. Same. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the option's there. We know it. Correct. So that is just about it for the two pre-cons. Angelo, thank you very much for your insights on them. Of course. And yeah, if anybody listening is pick, picking these up and have find any sweet or interesting sort of budget upgrades or anything, um, feel free to let us know over on Twitter. Yeah, we'd love to see what you got. Now, moving on, Emma... As always, towards the end of yep. the episode, have we got some Q&A? <laughs> we do have a handful this week. So we'll start off with Survey Token from the BMCast Discord. And they ask, what are the best mm -hmm. options and strategies for budget four and five color commanders? Mm. I'm going to leave this to Angelo because I tend to be mono or two colored. Mm -hmm. So <sighs> my, my suggestion is play like Chromatic Lanterns and Dryad of Leaves and Groves. Anything that just gives your lands rainbows, I guess. Affordably mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah, oh, but fetches. even chromatic lanterns like ten bucks. Okay, mm. that's awkward. <laughs> yeah, so my suggestion is, if you want to build a four to five color deck, first of all, you can go back a couple episodes because I built a four color Omnath deck mm. uh, on a budget against yeah. Scott, and what I did there is I based the deck in green, 
and I cut out all the dual lands and the, the all the, the pricey lands and basically relied on the green ramp mm. because green ramp is the best, most efficient way to make sure that you can color fix. And yep. I, I don't know necessarily what strategy would be cheapest in five colors because when you go into five colors when you go into four colors obviously you you have a lot more options and a lot of those options are more expensive and if mm. you want to work at peak efficiency your decks are going to be more expensive but if you base it in green you can you can cut out all of the price from the land base at the very least so let's say you have a hundred dollar budget for the omnath deck that i did the mana base, I think, ended up being $5. It was a handful of temples and basic lands. So then $95 I put into everything else. My, that would be my suggestion. Is kind of skimp on the mana base a little bit. That's something you can build out over time. I think it's very important to hit your main like theme cards mm. if you're going to do that. In the lands deck, you know, I wanted AC. I wanted Tatiova. You know, all, all the cards that really made the deck hum, I put those in there. I even, I put an Uro in the deck. I had enough budget to put Uro in there. Like, hit hit your big cards, and then over time, if you find you like the deck, slowly flesh it out. That would be my suggestion. Uh, that, that's one thing. And then if you're looking for, like, specifically just good options for budget, like, commanders themselves, uh, I really like Kenrith. Uh, we were talking about Kenrith earlier. Yeah. Kenrith is just very versatile. No matter what you want to do, Kenrith has the option for you. Uh, kind of like Golos. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for four colors, I, I like Omnath a lot. I also like uh, Kaneos and Tiro. They're really cool. Um, anything that likes playing green, likes getting like lands out, um, anything like that, I think are good options for commanders themselves. Yeah, I think as long as you're sort of leaning heavily into green, most of the four or five color commanders are fine. Mm -hmm. Because on a budget, like you said, the main thing that you need to sort of be sure of is actually just, you know, casting your spells yeah. and stuff. So. At, at worst, you can always just grab a Sika and put in the biggest creatures that you could find, and you're just trying to ramp to play <laughs> Prismatic Bridge, and then you're like, all right, cool, here's my Terra Stomper, let's go. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> So the Joe Cheney has a question for each of us and then has a question for mm -hmm. all of us at the end. So we'll start off with mm -hmm. Angelo. Which cards cool. in Midnight Hunt are you the happiest for adding into your cube? So this is tough. Um, I have been going through all the cards and then I I, I don't know. It's, t it's hard because kind of like what we were talking about earlier is that both sets kind of seem like, you know, one big mm. set, kind of, which is why they're doing the double feature in February. But... Yeah. I kind of want to wait to see what else we're getting to to really, like... Because some cards that we're getting now might be pushed out by cards that we're getting in the next set. Yeah. But at, at the moment, at, at the moment, I also really like Rite of Oblivion, which is a card you added to your cube, Emma. Um, it replaced Anguished Unmaking for me, just because it's a better signpost card for uh, black-white for the cube. Uh, I really like Eaten Alive that beats out bone splinters because I have a handful of those kinds of effects anyway. So yeah. that's a nice upgrade. Uh, Mercurial Geist got replaced by Storm Skrelix. Uh, that seems like a better card for that slot, and gold uh, gold slots are very contentious in my cube. So that there are a lot. There are a, a, mm -hmm. a huge handful of cards that just kind of kick others out. 
Whereas, like, Ren and Seven, just a really good card. I'm going to add that in. Like, yeah. And it helps the self-mill deck. So I'm... I There are a lot... Way too many to name, <laughs> but I'm super excited. Yeah. Uh, so Joe has a question for me. He says, will you please share the recipe for the blueberry compote in the episode notes? The answer is yes. It'll be in the show notes for the patrons <laughs> if people want to make delicious blueberry compote. Uh, and for Scott, since you're not interested in the Simpsons reruns, what is your guilty pleasure binge entertainment? Right, so I saw this question posted in the Discord last night. And I've spent from then <laughs> until now trying to think about this. And I, I think I had a realisation about myself. And that is, I don't have any. I don't have any oh, no. guilty pleasure binge entertainment. I don't rewatch anything. Like, at all. I basically, like, once I've watched something one time, if I go to watch it again, I'm like, uh, bored. That, it basically only, never happens. The only show I remember you get really excited about was Shit's Creek. <laughs> that was very good, to be fair. But I couldn't watch it again. I could yeah. not. Um, the only two things that I have rewatched in recent memory were Demon Slayer and My Hero Academia. And that was because Leanne, my partner, was getting into both of them. I was like, you need to watch these. I will sit down and watch them again with you because <laughs> they are that good. Yeah. And, you know, so I would say if I had to pick something, it's probably doing Dark Souls runs, I guess. Like, yeah. it's not necessarily tied to TV or movies, right? It's a, it's still entertainment. I still yeah. binge, sort of. Yeah, let's go with that. But specifically, actually, co-op, because playing it by yourself is just stressful. Like, playing it with a friend is real fun, because then you're like, all right, let's strategize, and, like, you do this build, I do that build, and, you know, you it, plan it this, out and have a bit of fun. This really sucks, but we're in this together, so it makes it fun. <laughs> Get yeah, out of basically. that situation. Um, and then the question for everyone so I'll start with Angelo Um, which commanders are you most excited to brew with from Midnight Hunt Angelo go so my brain has been almost solely focused on cube for for the past two weeks I haven't even thought a whole lot about commander honestly Um, and none of the legends particularly piqued my interest except for Slogurk but it, it, first of all, the Overslime is a great title. I love that. Yeah. But but I already have a Lord of Wind Grace deck, a four-color Omnath deck. I just built the three-color Omnath Elementals deck, which has a land sub-theme. Like, I really don't need a fourth land-adjacent deck. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm just like, nope, not doing Slogurk, which is the only one I'm particularly interested in. So uh, I think... I'm sitting out from Midnight Hunt in terms of new legends. So I think mine is Slogurk just because it looks fun. And I think you can build it in a way that isn't just hashtag Simic good stuff. I think you can actually yeah. do like Ooze Tribal or just do a little land sub theme. And plus the mm. um, the alternate art, the legendary Eternal Night art looks really cool as well. Yeah. So I might have to yep. build that at some yeah. point. The other one's Geesa as well, but I suspect Geesa would put a target mm. on my head. Yeah, yeah. Geesa's very, very powerful. Um, how about you, Scott? So I'm going to I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit here actually and my article from last week where I did the three decks uh, the Lear Disciple of the Drowned Vadric Astral Archmage and Slogurk the Overslime they are the three commanders that I was most hyped to brew about all three of them and I'm looking at all three being like I could probably justify building three commander decks right uh, <laughs> To, to be fair, actually, I still have that Tatiova deck I was talking about a couple of weeks ago put together, and I don't like playing with it because it's too slow and dirty. Slogurk pretty much just slots in, and with a couple of card changes, it just turns into a lands deck like it already is, except it also has like a huge beater in the command zone. 
that I can just win games quickly with. So kind of that, I think. Um, Team Slogurk. I'm definitely going to be doing that. Yeah. Team Slogurk, let's, let's go. Let's go. Uh, and lastly, we've got a tweet from Evie the Mage 97 uh, They just tweeted in to say, Since the last time Angelo was on, I was accused of pandering. This time, I have a Golgari card for <laughs> Midnight Hunt. Uh, Good Caller's Harvest is a card for any green-black deck in EDH looking to outvalue with death triggers and is currently less than $1 each on pre-order. So you know, Angelo? I know you, right, you, so, you like, you like non-Jeskai cards. <laughs> yeah, so hold on. So I know I have... And the thing is, is that, yes, you were pandering the last time, but now you're going too far in the other direction. <laughs> you can't just go from Jeskai to Golgari and, and, and not expect me to notice. You have to try harder than that. And don't come up with a Sultide card next time either. <laughs> um, and Evie the Mage has a question which is a little bit similar to what Joe Chaney asked. Is uh, What cards are you excited to brew with in EDH now the set is out and you've seen the cards? Not necessarily Commanders themselves, but any like in Midnight Hunt cards you're excited to try in EDH? So, Ghoul Caller's Harvest is actually a card that <laughs> got me to want to start building Sidisi again. Okay. Uh, Sidisi nice. Zombie Tokens. Uh, I one. And so all the flashback cards and decayed zombie tokens and then the pre-con has really gotten my, my gears turning for that. So I think Sidisi is going to be my, my next deck, particularly because of Ghoul Caller's Harvest. <laughs> what about you, Scott? For me, it was mostly the commanders that I mentioned already, but... There are two cards in particular that spring to mind that I want to see where they fit. I did, not necessarily a brew round, but I definitely want to see where they go. One that I know where I'm putting it is Dreadhound. The 6 mana 6-6, six, six, the mm. ETB mills cards, and then whenever a creature dies or a creature card is put into a graveyard from a library, each opponent loses one life. That's going into Sir Conrad. And yep. the other card that I want to play around with and see where it goes is Ardent Elementalist, the red Archaeomancer. Mm. Yep. Because... It's literally red Archaeomancer that's easier to cast. So there are a thousand tomes that that can go into. And I really want to know where this can be utilized best. Mm. Uh, considering I don't really look at cards from a, like a commander lens, I think the only one that I like the look of that could be fun to like put in a deck is a Poppet Stitcher. Because I really like the fact that nice. blue decks are getting all like this sort of token generation. And it's not just, oh, you know, yeah. play those account with spells or whatever. There's like this token mm. sub theme, which is kind of nice. Yeah. It also goes really well with Decayed Zombie Tokens, because it takes away their abilities. Oh, you might say you could just pop it into that. Oh. Hey! <laughs> thank you for listening to us here at the BMCast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Nicholas Martin, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, Christopher McCarthy, Tom Talford, Anton Clement, Edward Whitney, and Jamie Coyle. And at the Stonks tier, we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, A Nice Planeswalker, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, and Mickey Paris. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. 
If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.